There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 184. This week, we are pleased to present you the story M by Russell Hemmel. Russell is a statistician and social scientist from the UK, passionate about astrophysics and speculative fiction, with stories in Perihelion SF, SQ Mag, and others. He can be found online and on Twitter via the links in our show notes. Russell's story is read by veteran podcaster and Triple F regular Geoffrey Welchman. Geoffrey writes, produces and voices The Reigning Lunatic podcast, a medieval sitcom and 2016 Parsec Awards finalist. He lives in Baltimore, Maryland, and he too can be found online via the links in our show notes. And without any further ado, M by Russell Hemmel. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We look like Sam, Christian thought, admiring the fresco in the charnel house and its ghastly figures, scary and eerily beautiful. He adjusted the heavy cloak over his shoulders. The evening was damp and cold, and he was tired after a whole day on the move. But he could not avoid that feeling of elation. He had followed her for too long, and days had become months, years, winters, summers, clear starry nights of patient stalking. Across desolate lands and overcrowded cities, poverty and luxury, holy retreats and dangerous havens, and now he was back to square one, where all had started. Incidentally, his birthplace, that glittering Paris so cherished and hated. Isn't fate ironic? Because God, for sure, has no business here. Or has he? Christian was sure about one thing, though. The place he was standing on that precise moment was not a surprise. Where else could that creature ever find a better sanctuary? He kneeled down, covering his face with a perfumed handkerchief. The Cemetery of the Innocents, also known as Les Champeaux, was the same infamous location it had been since centuries, since Roman times. The mass graves were yet to come, and so the Black Death, and war, but the character of the place and its morbid allure were already there near that market of Les Halles, where they had remained for centuries. Conquerors and lords had passed by and ruled, different yet equally unflinching in front of massacres, diseases, famine, and blood. Nationality didn't matter a lot in the business of taking lives, even less in trading them. The market stopped during the night, but business was florid as usual with some of its unique perks for the Court of Miracles' night owls. Christian had arrived just after closing and walked across the walled area, passing the fountain and heading toward the charnel houses. Quietly, he had found a suitable observation point and, hidden beneath the danse macabre fresco, had begun waiting for what he knew in advance would follow. He didn't have to wait for long. She's here. A tall, willowy shadow came in from the other side of the cemetery, soon followed by two cloaked figures, one stocky and slightly limping, the other ragged and carrying something in his hands that looked like an axe. The three talked for a while, their voices low, almost hushed, the woman with a husky voice and an accent impossible to define, the men a clear Parisian lower-class twang. The negotiation was brief and uneventful. Then the woman unearthed something from the terrain, muddy after the heavy rains of the days before. He squinted his eyes, spotting a small white bone, what looked like a human femur, in the fading light. The two handed her a few coins and left hurriedly with their prey, while, calm and collected, she walked out of the burial ground in the opposite direction ignoring the approaching beggar. He followed her across the cemetery walls in Rue Saint-Denis and over to Rue de la Ferronnerie, up to the door of a tavern. 
He allowed her a while to get seated and served and got in as well, ignoring the puzzled looks of the bystanders. You're not used to people in brocade and Lyon's velvet, I know, but believe me, you would be even more surprised if I wore my usual outfit, my friends. He found her immediately. She was sitting at the far end of the hall, near the window, her long, disheveled hair loose on her shoulders, the dark garments contrasting with her white, almost translucent complexion. Christian walked to her table, and, without awaiting an invitation, he sat down. For a moment the woman remained still, as if she had not noticed his presence. Then she lifted her head, and a cold yellow eye met his regard. You're mistaken. I am not in for company. He took off his cloak, unhurriedly. Then he produced a golden coin. Yes, you are. Her eyes glittered in anger. You're insulting me. Not in the least. I'm just saving you the embarrassment of being taken away by the police, which is somehow less polite. I saw you an hour ago at the cemetery. It's still an illegal practice, albeit quite common. Had he expected a reaction, he would have been disappointed. Her face showed no emotion. Can you prove it? I don't need to. An accusation from me is good enough to get you arrested. She observed his rich clothes, his long, elegant hands, the chiseled hilt of his sword, and an ironic smile appeared on her mouth. If this is the case, you can just blackmail me. Buying my favors is a waste of money. Christian smiled, too. Now it's you who are mistaken, madame. I'm not interested in having sex with you. The money is only to pretend I am. You don't want to attract attention. Why? Let's just say people in my line of business know the importance of discretion. She sneered at him, and her regard wandered around the unadored walls and the scant furniture, for a moment lost in her reverie. It was still early, but the tavern was somber, with only a few sparkles of light coming from the huge fireplace. People in your line of business go to this kind of place? How bizarre! Is it so? They are mirrors of our times more than anything. Taverns like this one last longer than royal dynasties. It's because their products are better. I won't disagree with that. He touched her hand with the point of his fingers for just a moment. Then he stood up. Four plays are over. Come with me. You're an idiot, young man, she said without moving. I could hurt you, snap your neck. Eat your heart. Maybe, or maybe not. I'm pretty good with my blade. And it's Friday evening. You're still a few hours short. Her eyes became alive with something he could not define. It was surprise, almost amazement. He grabbed her wrist as she tried to walk away, making her flinch. Don't be stupid. You know who I am. Of course I know. Do you think I have nothing better to do at night than visiting Les Innocents? People can catch the plague just walking by, a problem I'm sure you don't have, he replied. It was me in Budapest last December. She gasped, trying to free herself. He tightened his grip. 
For the last time, madame, follow me. Where? To the Grand Châtelet, maybe? A smirk appeared on her dark, almost bluish lips. To a damp, grisly cell? To be forgotten or die of hunger? It's where my kind ends up eventually, isn't it? Sometimes, yes, when they manage to escape the worst. Because, believe me, the Châtelet might be a damp and grisly place, and yet there's worse in Paris for your kind, as you call it. He made a pause. But the answer is no. We are not heading there. And no harm will be done to you. You have my word. I can't trust you. I'm not your enemy. And who are you, then? All at the right moment. She hesitated, her eyes swiftly looking around in search of an escape of last resort. Christian couldn't avoid smiling again. I could have easily killed you many times. You are a formidable entity, madame, but you are alone, and all lone animals are vulnerable. He caressed her wrist, the way he would pet a dangerous snake. If I'd wanted to get you in chains, I would have already done it at Les Innocents. Let's go. They left the tavern and started walking on Rue de la Ferronnerie toward the Seine. His companion was silent but watchful, her regard piercing and alert. Are we going far? Are you tired, or night bothers you, after all? No, it doesn't bother me. I like walking at night, even in Paris, and— And in unpleasant company, he concluded for her. Yes, I would have expected you to hail a hacket, though. Rich people don't like to get their feet dirty. I got used to it. Parisian streets have never been famous for being clean. Not even mentioning the danger of going around at this late hour without an escort, she added. You reek of money, young man, despite all your efforts to hide it under your worn-out cloak. Do you live here in Paris, by the way? He nodded. Paris is a good place to live. And a bad one to die, she declared with a wry smile. You talk by personal experience, don't you? And yet you're right, madame. This city fears nothing, respects only the ones that outwit her and swallows us all. Me? I just belong here. I'm never too far away, and not for long. I enjoy looking at the soul of this ancient place, and what makes it real is the gutter, not the stars. Therefore, when I am in Paris, I live just in front of Point Neuf, where we are heading, in case you wonder. She looked back in the direction of the cemetery, no longer visible. Still, he swore he could perceive its stench of death. You talk about ancient soul. What do you know about it? Not as much as you, I believe. You know, monsieur, that cemetery you despise is the very heart of this city you love so much. The largest and most ancient burial ground, when Paris was still called Lutetia, and the barbarians had not ravished it yet. Which ones? There were a few of them, and you seem to have a good knowledge as well. Since you know what I am, you can imagine how. Yes, but I don't imagine why. Why this city, and why after so long, 
Why not? Well, that's something I'm less surprised about. She was on the point of saying something. Then she just shook her head and looked away. They kept strolling in silence along the dimly lit streets and even darker alleys, avoiding drunkards and litter scattered all around, until they arrived on the bank of the Seine. Are we going to cross the river? At the Ile, he said. Unfortunately, the works on Pont au Change are not over yet, so we will have to do a slight detour. Once they reached L'Ile de la Cité, he turned left. But the woman stopped, looking at the statue of the Vert Galant, her regard strangely emotional, almost moved. Are you thinking about the king? I'm sure you remember him, like I do. Did you loathe him, maybe? Henri de Navarre was a good king, better than many others. No, I am thinking about what happened in this place many years before, when it was called the Jews' Islet, and was the place they were routinely executed. She raised her head with a fierce look in her eyes. I'm thinking of a night in March 1314, and of another king, an evil one, with the beauty of the Diable. Her hand pointed out an unmarked place on the ground. It's where Jacques de Molay was burned at the stake. Cursing Philippe IV and Clement V, Christian said. History said he was quite effective, maybe because his Templars were heretics and adored a demon. Was that the truth? I'm rather skeptical about demoniac interventions, but it's a fact that neither the king nor the pope saw the end of the year. Or maybe you gave Master Jacques some help. I don't interfere with human matters, even less with your crimes. It wasn't a crime. It was just politics. At least you don't pretend it was justice, she shrugged. You're right. That curse is just a legend. Molay never said anything of the sort. They kept walking by the river until they reached the majestic building of the Conciergerie. The moon was shining in the darkening sky, reflecting the fleeting shapes of the towers on the water. So it's here you wanted to take me. It's where the old French kings used to stay. This one is a prison now. Here they judge witches, heretics, and people dangerous for order, not ordinary criminals. In which category would you place me? None. They entered the building, passing through a few guarded outposts and vaulted corridors, until they reached a room. Your office, monsieur? No, I am a guest like you in this place. But a well-known guest. And that comes with some privileges, Christian said, opening the big wooden door. He invited her to sit took two stem-glasses, and poured wine. How long have you been following me? Last December was not the first time, I believe. Many years. How did you know? How could you possibly know? I've seen you, madame, he said, looking at his wine. And last December, in Budapest, you offered me the proof I needed, the best one. I know who you are. I know what you are. Do you? She closed her eyes with a sigh, and when she opened them again, she looked sad and tired. I am the creature of the bottomless mire, 
and the dark, still waters. The monster that is only six days to walk and one to slither on the ground. The serpent's spay that brings plague, death, and perdition to everything it touches. I am the beast. She took the glass in her hand, smashing it into pieces. Why have you chased me all this time without stopping me? What do you want? Certainly not to discuss the Templars or take me for a romantic stroll along the Seine. If you don't want to arrest me, why bring me here? I want to show you something. People's features were hidden in the relative obscurity of the dungeons, but their screams were loud and clear. A prisoner and what looked like an interrogator stood by a huge hoop of iron with a hinge in its middle. The prisoner, a young man, was forced to crouch on one side of the hoop while the other side was pressed against his naked back. The interrogator questioned him with a monotone voice, the same invariable question of every torture. Give us the names. And at every profession of innocence the interrogator tightened the hinge a bit more, making the boy howl in pain. Christian noticed a sticky red liquid pouring out of the prisoner's toenails. At that moment a high-pitched, prolonged scream resounded in the dungeons, followed by a hysteric cry. On their left, a few meters away, a young girl was having her breast torn apart by a metal claw. Tied to the wall, she could not move, only wriggling in agony while the torturer cut her tender flesh into shreds. Look at her. She can't even talk. They have pulled out her tongue with hot pincers long ago, he said quietly, pointing at the girl. I thought the point here was to interrogate prisoners. Not in her case. She has been condemned for heresy. This is a punishment for her sins. His eyes looked away from the victim and back to the woman's face. She won't die here. They will give her a public death. Slow and painful. The wheel, most likely. She remained immobile, almost hypnotized. He gently touched her shoulder. Have you watched enough? She did not reply and closed her eyes. With a nod, he walked her outside. They sat in front of a crackling fire. They had not talked all their way back to the office, their steps the only noise resounding into the empty chambers. Why have you shown me all this? Haven't you guessed? No. Yes. You don't want to imprison me. You want simply to kill me and free the world of... of my kind. Wrong. I am not an inquisitor, madame, even though I often cooperate with them. He stood up, going near to the open window, admiring the moon now high in the sky. And I'm afraid there's nobody else of your kind. Not on this continent, at least. You're unique. Who are you? My name won't mean anything to you. I'm a noble by birth, a Jesuit by education, and a physician by professional practice. And Jesuits don't kill strange, unique creatures. We prefer studying them. So this is the reason. You want to chop me in pieces and analyze my body to discover how this monster can possibly exist. That would be plausible, 
interesting even, but that's not the case. So I have no business with you. The woman stood up, ready to leave. Mathilde. She stared at him, her eyes wide open. What? Your daughter. This is the reason we are here. Is she fine? She looked worried and, for the first time, genuinely scared. She is fine. She's here, as we speak. Here? Yes. You can see her if you want to. But you will have to leave her alone. She's tired and needs rest. Why did you bring her here? I did not. I have only rescued her, just in time to avoid her as a water torture. Her expression betrayed her incredulity. I don't believe you. Why show her any mercy if you know who I am? It's very simple. I love her. Christian got closer to her and smiled. It was after I've learned of your existence and started following you around Europe that I discovered you had a daughter living just a few streets from here. I started pursuing her out of a quirk, and we've become lovers. But when I came back from Budapest last month, I could not find her anywhere, and it was only after a while that I found out she was imprisoned here. He took her hand with gentleness. I do love her, and this is the reason why I reached out to you tonight. She's in danger because of you, madame. She's learned from you how to be a healer, but she's too original and outspoken to be secure, even in the court of miracles, even without you living with her. You need to disappear from her life. From our lives, I should add. Regretfully, I have to sacrifice my intellectual curiosity for the safety of the woman I've chosen. And when I say disappear, I mean something definitive, like you were dead. She shuddered, her eyes welled up with tears. You can't ask me that. Don't be stupid. You know I'm right about Mathilde. Somebody sold her out as a witch. This is why she ended up here. They had started interrogating her, and I arrived just in time. Nobody resists torture. She would eventually have confessed whatever they wanted her to confess. Take the word of an expert here. Do you torture people yourself? No, but I do assist inquisitors when they carry out the deed, so that prisoners don't die under their pincers, like that young man you have seen in the dungeons. You can protect her? From them, yes, but not from you. While you are around, she will never be safe. If they ever see you with her, she would be lost. She would be declared a sorcière, a witch, tortured and burned in the Place de Grève. Parisians don't really care about witchcraft, and the authorities even less, but they do care about heresy and conspiracies, and this is about politics now. Times are changing, and not for the best, madame. Rebellion is in the air, and Mazarin is going to crack down on this seditious capital. And the new king will be even harsher, considering what he is going to face in the course of the next few years. I don't need Mathilde's divination abilities for that. His smile faded, and a hard look replaced it. They will moralize the public life and anybody suspected of unorthodox practices will be at risk, 
you would agree with me that unorthodox is the mildest adjective you can use about Mathilde. Do you understand, madame? The flame in the fireplace crept up with a blazing light, while the scent of aromatic wood filled up the room. She hid her face in her hands and fell on the floor with a muffled sound. He felt sorrow for that terrible and yet gentle creature, and for the pain he was inflicting to her. It's just fair, after all. I reap what I sow. I've deserved the hell your God has chosen for me. You have not to fear hell, should it actually exist. Ours is a God of mercy. No, monsieur. There's indeed hell, but not one that awaits mortals with promises of fire. I already suffer it every day, and there is no mercy for me but only an irate and cruel deity that has condemned me to an existence of pain. She dried out her tears and looked at him with a feeble smile. But you, you were merciful. You managed to surprise me. I would never have imagined a man of the cross could be so open-minded. Maybe I'm just a cynic, opportunistic and lustful. No, you're right. Something is changing in France, but more than even you can foresee. There's something good ahead, too. I can feel winds of transformation that the chains of tyranny and obscurantism cannot contain forever. A future of tolerance. She got up, adjusting her long hair, black as the wing of a raven. One day, I know, I will meet your descendants with your ice-blue eyes and the auburn hair of Mathilde. I will teach them not to fear the unknown and the monstrous, and I will appear in their sleep to reassure them and keep nightmares away. This will make my anguish bearable, a little bit. They heard the bells of Notre-Dame signaling the midnight. Christian looked at her with sympathy and bowed to kiss her hand. I guess it's now the moment to bid you farewell. Melusine, I will miss you. Their eyes met for the last time, and then she walked to the open window. The heavy velvet curtains were waving, and the wind was blowing with violence, announcing an incoming storm. The creature raised her arms that became robust dragon wings, whilst her slim legs turned into a giant serpent's tail. Among hair crawling with snakes and animal shrieks of sorrow, he watched her dress falling down in shreds. She flew out of the window, eclipsing for a brief moment the immaculate moonlight. The End Wasn't that a great one? I must tell you, boys and girls, on behalf of myself, your host, Nicholas Eaton Clark, my editor, Gary Dowell, and our audio engineer, extraordinaire, Mark Zanfardino, we miss being able to bring these stories to you on a weekly basis. We want to return to that, and to do so, we need your support. To that end, please consider making a donation via our Patreon page. As always, if you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We do love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. Do please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, 
and other podcatchers. Please also remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will receive a stern talking to. And believe me, that's no joke. After this wonderfully entertaining interlude, I'm off to go and do another two hours of e-learning narration. Wish me luck. I'll see you on the other side. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.